This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, A Sojourn Among the Avatars of Wisdom, and the author is Dudley Meekum. And Dudley joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dudley. Hi, Steve. Great to have you with us, Dudley. We're going to talk about this action-adventure, as you call it, even though it has lots of uh, different elements than most adventures because you're going to throw in lots of nuggets of wisdom and a little bit of a fantasy, but we'll get into those details in a moment. Let me read what you've written about your book. You say this, Guided by the wisdom of the ages, an astronaut competes in a tournament to become a knight. And he begins an epic adventure that will change his life forever. So, kind of uh, modern because we're dealing with an astronaut to the International Space Station. Yes, he makes a journey up from the space shuttle and rendezvous with the International Space Station and is scheduled to perform some duties. Scheduled to perform some duties, and then, of course, the unexpected happens. Before we get into the unexpected, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book. I wrote the book as a gift to my younger self because I didn't experience as much success as my colleagues or people my age. So I figured that my younger self would probably need not my wisdom, but the wisdom of the world's greatest sages. And what I do is I provide the connective tissue that that weaves all that logic or wisdom together. Very interesting. So you, through your life experiences, uh, some uh, wisdom quotes that ring true with you included those into this story. Yes. Things that really resonated with you, things that you needed. That's correct. All right. Very good. Well, I'm sure they're universally needed. Many of us, uh, life is filled with all kinds of challenges. So let's talk about Chris Cole and the the challenges that he is facing. As we already mentioned, he's an astronaut and he goes up to the International Space Station. I guess, uh, is this his first time? It is indeed. So he's got a lot of a lot of different feelings about this. Right, it's a once in a lifetime journey for him. Once in a lifetime journey. And what happens? Things go wrong, he returns to earth. He c- could not return to the the original location where he took off from, so he lands at Edwards Air Force Base in California and then eventually goes to kill a day until his return flight the next day, he journeys to a medieval fair where the king unexpectedly selects him as a contestant in a medieval tournament. So this tournament is real? 
It is at the at the medieval fair, yes. Yes, so he has to learn to do what? He needs to learn how to wield a longsword, but really it's a it's a padded longsword, so he won't do damage to himself or or hurt other people, other contestants. But behind the scenes, there's much more going on. Yes, enemies coalesce to thwart him, and they pretty much succeed at different points during the book, but... The, a cast of colorful characters guide him on the, on the correct path using using the wisdom of the world's greatest sages verbatim. So why would these enemies, what made them his enemies? The, the wizard said that for him to proceed in this training, for him to introduce Chris Cole to a friend of the wizard's, that he had to overcome one of his fears, and one of his fears, which happens to be pretty much everyone's fear, the number one fear, is public speaking. And that, in fact, happens to be worse than the fear of dying. But during the course of giving a speech, he, he did so from the perch where the jester usually gives his speech, so he immediately made an enemy right there on the spot. So the jester, in turn, leads his forces against Chris, and it's a, it's a long day for Chris Cole. So this jester is uh, one of the main characters? Yes, he is. Well, tell us a little bit about him. As a jester, he knows how to make fun of people, and he becomes so good at it that, really, Chris Cole is an easy target for him, and it doesn't take much effort on the part of the jesters to just dissuade Chris to, to continue in this contest. So he, when his, his verbal uh, arrows don't do the trick, then he enlists other people to physically dissuade Chris from carrying on with the tournament. I guess we all have jesters in our lives, don't we? We, already, we all have that jester who wants to make fun of us. Yes, and, and perhaps the jester in our own mind might be that, that person. Very well, yes, in our own mind. And the wizard must play an important role here? Yeah, he plays an important role. He's one of a cast of supporting characters, but he definitely lifts Chris off his, off of his feet first and then introduces him to other people who in turn help Chris Cole as well. So this medieval fair, this tournament, really is more about real life than some kind of fantasy. You could look at it that way, of course. Yes, at some point in your life you're not prepared for the, the conflict that you enter and you turn, uh, turn to the advice of others for help and... I would imagine that the advice of the world's greatest sages would probably trump uh, person A or person B. Now, this advice from the world's greatest philosophers and sages, what is, the, what is their role here? What, uh, how do you work that into this whole story theme, the plot? In fact, you even called it that writing your book was like uh, a Rubik's Cube. Yes, because the, the advice has to be solicited, therefore the protagonist has to be laid low many times during the story. And I had to decide which character was going to say which pearls of wisdom 
in which order and in which scene. So I had to keep moving the advice around among the different characters and in different scenes to make it work. Because setting up setting up solicited advice is a bit like setting up a joke. You just can't lob the punchline in there anywhere. It has to it has to flow naturally. Timing is everything. Yes. And I guess the same with how we use wisdom. Timing is everything. Of course. We have to be ready to accept it. Absolutely. And that usually takes place when not when things are going well, but when things are not going well. You write that Chris really has created a prison of his own making. Now, how do you explain that? When he was young, he he got into a fight and was knocked out. And according to Chris, the only only thing worse than that happening is is death. So he takes that incident and carries it with him for the rest of his life, or at least until he meets the current char- cast of characters. And because he's a more of a technical kind of guy, more of an engineer, he doesn't really excel in the physical aspects of life. And in that respect, that's that's his prison, as he can't can't do well physically. And through every the cast of characters' wisdom, those those characters are able to change Chris's mind. Does he have a friend that really, who really helps him? I try to make it so that everyone helps him pretty much equally. It, it would, if it were just one person, it would, people would lose interest in the story. Dudley, we've been mentioning words of wisdom from these philosophers and from sages. Why don't you give us some of these, this wisdom that you included in this storyline? One of the quotes goes as follows. Iron rusts from disuse, stagnant water loses its purity, and in cold weather becomes frozen. Even so does an action sap the vigor of the mind. That was said by Leonardo da Vinci. So these quotes, these words of wisdom, they're very deep. Yes, they are. Are they all like the one you just read, or do they have that kind of style? Yes, they are a paternal tone, so that you don't need to make the same mistake that it, it's already pointing you in the right direction. It can save you time as a reader. A very unique literary style because of those who shared this kind of wisdom, but at the same time, directly to the point. Yes. Please share another one. The next one goes as follows. All successful men have agreed in one thing. They were causationists. They believed that things went not by luck, but by law that there was not a weak or cracked link in the chain that joins the first and last of things. That was said by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Obviously, well-known philosophers that you have shared with us. We've been talking with Dudley Meekham. He's the author of his book, A Sojourn Among the Avatars of Wisdom. Dudley, what's the best way to get your book? You can obtain a copy through Amazon.com or through my website, www. DudleyMeekham.com And I watched a YouTube trailer on your book. Hopefully it was entertaining. Yes, and tell our listeners how they can watch. They can go to YouTube and type in the words Dudley Meekham. Last name is spelled M-E-C-U-M. 
Thank you so much, Dudley, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thanks for having me, Steve. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Veterans Reflections, History Preserved. And joining me from New Hampshire in the United States of America is Sergeant First Class, retired, passionate advocate, and supporter of our military, author William R. Grazer. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. It is evident from your book your deep regard for those who have served this country. Thank you for your service and also for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome, sir. This book is uh, important on a lot of a lot of levels. Uh, you've managed to pen, uh, you know, 303 pages of uh, of information, where you have interviewed uh, veterans of many of the foreign wars. In fact, I think your history, if I if I understand your book and have read uh, parts, portions of it, you actually reflect back to World War One and and up to the present. Am I understanding your your approach? Yes, yes, you are. Uh, I, I decided to start with the end. Uh, following the end of World War One and, and how um, uh, they, you know, the politics of the time uh, started setting the stage for what was to come in 1931-39. So, yeah, I did. I started with World War One. There's uh, definitely a, a, a historical aspect to your book, but it is more than that for you because you are also are a um, military uh, graduate. I mean, you've been in the military. You're a sergeant first class. Is that uh, also your ranking? Yes, it is. In talking to these veterans, uh, one thing that strikes me is uh, in talking to veteran friends that I I, uh, personally am acquainted with, many of them don't want to share their stories. How did you get motivated to get them motivated to tell their story? Well, that's an interesting question. Actually, it's a very good question because as as I began to, uh, well, let me back up just a bit here if I may. When I uh, first decided to collect uh, some stories, it was done back in around 2006, 2007, and what I was intending to do was pick up maybe a dozen or so and then uh, have a, um, a Veterans Day ceremony where these folks would be recognized. And as I began to collect them, I found that there was a lot more to the story than at first I thought it was going to do, is tell the whole story. I guess what I'm trying to say there, I just realized that there was a lot of information being provided by veterans that most would never hear. And I said, this is a great opportunity to tell the larger story. But to get back to your question... Yes, I, I did. As a matter of fact, uh, after finishing all the interviews, which uh, were about 60 of them, uh, I learned I learned of many of the veterans, especially those who felt 
their service uh, didn't put them in a situation where they were risking their lives, uh, didn't necessarily um, I don't know, would like to be referred to as a veteran. So what, what I thought about it, I said, you know, I learned that many drug, you know, many of these veterans struggled with the title of veteran because they felt uh, they're hardly warranted to being characterized because they didn't think their life was truly at risk. And personally, myself, and uh, in serving the number of years that I did, I took exception to that, and, and I sat and I talked with these veterans, and I pretty much tried to clear the air that, one, it's important, secondly, if it hadn't been for you, either volunteering or being invited to serve, the Cold War could have turned out a lot different. Mm. You have to understand your contribution, perhaps, at the time, like all of us, when we're in the military doing our jobs, we don't know what the grand scheme is. So we get out, we go on with our lives. It isn't until later we take the opportunity to look back onto World War II or during the Cold War period that you realize, well, you know, my small contribution did, in fact, have some impact in the end result and led to the collapse of the Soviet Empire, if you will. You, so you... I, I, tried to, I tried to convey to them that message, and I, and I told them, you know, you should be proud, proud to stand tall when you're referred to as a veteran. There's, you know, when you joined or were invited, there was never any guarantee uh, that tomorrow you wouldn't be at war and your life would be in danger. So I tried to, tried to, to, to convey that and have them understand it. And quite frankly, I found that when I explained it in that way, and I've done that many times, even in groups at the VFW and other places, they do eventually come around and say, you know, you're right. You know, I was a cook, or I was in personnel, or I was in finance, and, and I stressed, without it, it's a cog in the wheel that would have been missing, and the service never would have been complete. Did so, yes, I, I think that uh, they do. They do struggle. And I, I look at it this way. The, it's a seven-letter word that says it all, and, and basically is the word veteran. Mm. If you wore the uniform, you should be proud of the fact that you are a veteran. Definitely the case. I know in Vietnam, the Vietnam veterans that I'm familiar with uh, have a very, I don't say a negative view of what they did, but they uh, they don't feel proud of necessarily supporting the uh, U.S. government policy during that time frame and feel that they should kind of keep it in the shadows. Are the other veterans of other conflicts, do they feel the same way? Well, I think Vietnam, and, and speaking again for myself, I'm a Vietnam veteran, and, and, I, and I believe that a lot of us felt that the... Uh, Again, you got to remember, this is the first time that we went into a conflict, and as it turned out, we lost. Mm. Uh, prior to that, uh, every war that we were involved with, we either won or it came to a climax uh, to where at least there was some form of ceasefire or a peace treaty. Uh, Korea is a good example of that. Right. Even though Korea to this day is still a threat to the world, uh, the, the war ended and the troops came home, and we just maintained a force there. But as far as Vietnam is concerned, you're right. I, I, I've I've heard that. I've experienced it. I've, I've talked with a lot of veterans from Vietnam, and, and I find that isn't necessarily as true as it used to be. Good. Uh, and I'll give you an example. There was a lieutenant here that, uh, that I know very well that's in the book, and he um, was an infantry officer with an advisory group in Vietnam. And what he found, doing his job, he took a lot of pride in that. Again, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, you just do the job that you're being asked to do. And he made a comment to me, and I wrote this down. If you don't mind, I'd just like to, it's not a quote per se. It's just something that I'm paraphrasing. Absolutely. Now, he's a combat veteran. He was there in 1969 to 1970. And this is what he had to say. This was just recent in 2015 at a Memorial Day ceremony. So I was fighting to survive and go home while the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong fought to preserve their country. Most of the South Vietnamese I met really had no interest in the war or its politics. It made, no matter, it made no matter to them whether there was a North and South Vietnam. 
They just want to return to the rice paddies of their ancestors. And he, and that was, that's pretty much the passage of the wording that he used. And I, and I think about that myself, and it's true. I mean, we found that to be the case with most of the uh, Arvin soldiers that I even worked with or were around. They, didn't, they just didn't see it. But veterans today, and the Vietnam veterans, I think, one, they've been recognized as, as a group that does, um, that should be honored and respected for what they did. And they, they weren't the politicians. They weren't the ones that decided that Vietnam was going to be lost uh, for other reasons than the commitment that the soldiers had on the ground. Absolutely the case. There are 60 or more veterans that you have interviewed and, and uh, told their story. How did you find these veterans that were willing to talk to you, first of all, and what do you think is perhaps the biggest surprise that you personally ran into in sharing their story? The biggest surprise was their, actually it was their willingness to tell their story. Mm. Uh, a lot of times, going back to what you were asking, a lot of veterans you would think were, would be more elusive, uh, not want to sit down and talk to you. Correct. And I believe that this kind of is, is a common thread, but I also find it links to what you asked. When I speak with or have spoken to World War II veterans, Korean War veterans, and some of these folks have really been involved, and quite frankly, in the blood of war. They never really talk much about it when they were young and raising their families. It's later they look back and say, you know, I did something that was important. And I sat down with these folks and I talked to them. Uh, there was a Navy man that uh, I, I seemed to... <laughs> He's passed, unfortunately, before this book got published, but his wife and his family has a copy of it for his grandchildren. And one of the things that he mentioned in his story, he says, uh, I was a storekeeper, which is essentially like a supply crook would be in the Army. He was in the Navy, and he was assigned with the Marine units, and he was involved in the Battle of Okinawa back in April of 1945. He really not, didn't really talk a lot about it until he and I sat one day, and just over a beer, he gave me his story. And I took an excerpt from that, if you don't mind. I'd just like sure. to read this excerpt. Sure, love to hear it. It's like, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it strikes home about what he was, what he was experiencing and, and his sense of, uh, of his uh, contribution, if, I, if you may. Sure. He said, this is what he says. As dusk settled over the area, I noticed there was a machine gun crew to my left and felt a sense of relief. I dozed off, and all of a sudden the Japs let go with a mortar barrage hitting the fuel dump. The night lit up and the machine gun crew opened fire with traces streaming through the night and the dark. And, and, he, and he looked at me, and he broke into tears. Wow. And I, I sat with him, and that was one of the most difficult parts of writing this book, was sitting with people like him, uh, telling their stories, and then having their emotions take over. But he, he was the type of person, after he retired, he went on to be a very successful businessman uh, in the private sector, and he used to go around... And when he'd be in a restaurant with his wife or his family, he'd be sitting there, and he would notice a veteran sitting in the restaurant. And he did this many, many times. This is one. It's not just an example. He just did this all the time. He would ask the waitress to give him the check. Really? That's the type of person he was. And and I I met these people, and it was just an experience, a moving experience. And and I I get goosebumps, if you will, when I I listen to them, and it became an honor to write their stories, uh, put all this on paper, uh, sit back and say, now, how do I really tell the story? how do you do this? How do you, you justify or how do you convey to, the, to a reader what it must have been like to serve during these periods? So I sat and I thought about it and I, and I pulled all my own experiences and I started to put together the, some of the historical context that was taking place around them when they were serving. So that someone reads the book, not only are they getting the sense of what it was like to serve, but they also understand what was happening 
behind the scenes, the political or military actions that were uh, taking place at the time. You've included some well, wonderful. That's the way I approached the book. You've included some wonderful photos that uh, also reinforce the stories and give a context to the stories you're sharing. Sixty wonderful veterans uh, that shared their story. How long did it take you to compile all of these stories and get them into book form? Oh, boy. <laughs> Seems like it's been forever. My wife used to say to me, am I ever going to get you back? Uh, <laughs> I would. Uh, I started, uh, like I said earlier, I began with in 2006, just you know, talking to a few veterans that I had met, especially in a retirement community that I presently reside at. And I put their stories together, and uh, one thing led to another, and I started to say, you know, I am going to write the whole story. I'm going to take my time, collect the rest of the stories, and I kind of imposed upon myself a timeline. How how far back do I want to go? That goes back to your original question. It went back to World War I. And how did we get into the the Second World War? What caused it? uh, And then how did these folks contribute to the effort so that we did eventually uh, was victorious over Germany and Japan? And it took me... Probably, if, if you just take out vacations and private time, probably five years to do the whole book. Five years. And the, the stories, years stories are, are wonderfully outlined. I am uh, curious also, you must have had a, an end time or an end reader in, in mind as you began to write this. Was this designed for uh, simply veterans, or do you think this is going to benefit maybe the younger generation that just doesn't have a clue of what happened in their past or in our past? Well, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, it, that it will, in fact, uh, not only uh, attract the audience that we typically uh, would relate to a subject like this, but I, I, I sat and I thought about that, actually. I said, you know, what am I gonna, how am I going to write this so not only will the military or uh, professionals that like military history want to read it? So I wrote it in a very simple form. Uh, it's, it's not a lot of uh, in-depth information. It's more of a generalization of the historical events that were taking place at the time. Right. And I believe the, the way the book is written, anyone who picks it up, sits down, and starts to read, it's compelling enough that they're going to pick up not only on the history, but then again, the appreciation for the veterans. So it's not necessarily set for, for a veteran or, or for present-day service members, for that matter. I, I, I see it being read by not only those folks, but people who maybe are in college and are in a political science program be simple for them to do. Bill, recap for me. What do you think is the most important message that the reader will take away from this this read? I think the most important message the reader is going to take away is an understanding and an appreciation for our veterans, uh, specifically their sacrifice and commitment uh, to support and defend our country. I really think that's going to come through. Beautiful. I know they certainly need our support even today, even if they're not in the military and active. I was wondering, you know, most of the time when, when I think of veterans and their stories, I'm thinking of uh, stories that are difficult to read or reflect upon. And yet your book has a wide range of, uh, of stories. Uh, there also is some humor in this, in this narrative. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. I didn't, that, that's, a, that's a good point, uh, actually, a very good point. Service in the military isn't always in the throes of battle. There's always the light times. There's always the fun times. And I think most of us have served, sit back, and when we reflect, generally we kind of go back to that, well, we had a good time doing this or doing that. And I take an example. There was a Vietnam veteran who said to me, I was in the Jeep and I got attacked by Premapine. And I says, Premapine? And he laughs and he says, you know that thick, gooey material they used to spray around the landing fields for the helicopters or at the base camps to keep the dust down? I said, well, I remember that. He says, well, 
there was a Vietnamese woman with the power hose spraying that, and the hose got away from her, and she sprayed all of us in the Jeep. I've read that. That's I had Prempine. I was attacked by Prempine. I just stuck in all that goo. And he laughed, <laughs> and it was funny the way he said it. And he was actually uh, an engineer assigned to the first cab, and his other side of his story obviously isn't, uh, doesn't have that type of uh, humor. Yeah, there are funny parts to it. Uh, even myself, when uh, I look back and I laugh a little bit about things that you would, you would never think of doing sometimes, but you do. Uh, it, takes the, it takes the pressure off, I guess. And, you know, I could go on and on about this, and if it was in a different environment, you'd be surprised what I could tell you in, in, a, short more, in, a, in a lot longer time. Well, but we, I wanna, I, I'd like to say this. Yes. You know, can, I, can I just like to say this? I really want to say this. Veterans, to me, are a very, very special group of people, not just because I'm one, but they're all very important and very special to the American fabric in terms of where we are in the world today. And, and I, I've had an opportunity to speak with a number of veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq who view their service slightly different than the previous generation. Mm-hmm. And you're probably wondering, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I, I listen to these folks, uh, and I meet a lot of them at the, at the uh, veteran centers where they do a lot of counseling and so forth. And they will tell you that one tour was fine, two tours were fine, five, six, eight tours, not so good. Wow. I think, I think that the veteran today... I'm just, I'm a, I, I, don't, I don't I know what I want to say, but I'm not quite sure how to put it into words. And I, I don't want someone listening to this and saying, what is he talking about? So I, I'm going to leave that go for right now. I was going to say something, but I don't think it's appropriate at this point. Well, I think I can read between the lines. Uh, the veterans in today's Army and in today's Air Force and in the military have been certainly taxed beyond what they have uh, deserved, I'm thinking. And, uh, Bill, thank you so much for sharing the story of 60 veterans in your book, Veterans Reflections, History Preserved. Again, my guest has been William R. Grazer. Bill, my listeners need to get a copy of your book. How do they find a copy? If they're looking to um, to purchase or to get a copy of the book, it's presently on Amazon. It's on uh, Barnes & Noble and other some other, other bookseller websites. Uh, it can also be obtained directly from the publisher, which is iUniverse. Uh, all they have to dial is uh, 1-800-288-4677, and they can order directly from the publisher. All right, Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. Is there a uh, a sequel to this particular book, Veterans Reflections? Actually, <laughs> yes, there is, and, and there will be. Uh, and that's why I kind of hesitated to say a lot about the present day. Uh, I've been working on, on a manuscript to take this book one step further, and uh, not only to speak with veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq, and also um, I'm trying to, I want to also sit and speak with a number of of our women soldiers. I think today their jobs are are incredibly dangerous. They're an incredible group of people as well. And when I listen and I listen to other veterans talking about them, you have to understand in Iraq when the first time we went in, Unfortunately, the casualty rate for women in, in, in Iraq was quite high, relatively mm. speaking. You know, we're talking over 100 uh, that were killed in action for, in various ways, because a lot of them were either military police or they worked in logistics or drove supply trucks and things of that nature, and IEDs took a toll. Right. So I do want to, uh, I am going to add to this book at some point, and I'm going to continue on with the story uh, a little bit more in depth when it comes to the current day and what's going on since 9 11. 
Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me today. Again, the book is titled Veterans Reflections, History Preserved. And my guest has been author William R. Grazer. Grazer spelled G-R-A-S-E-R. For those of you who may want to do a search online, Bill, thank you again for joining me today and sharing their stories and yours. And uh, look forward to visiting with you in the future when the next book is published. I really appreciate that. I'd love to come back and uh, and uh, and speak to the uh, the additional stories uh, and and see where it goes with that. But like I said, the veterans are very special. And I do want to add one last thing, if I may. Sure. There's a veteran in my book. He's a retired lieutenant colonel by the name of Wayne Parsons. He's got a unique story in the book. He was a Marine in Vietnam in 1969 and 70, and he was a sergeant at the time. He uh, separated from the Marine Corps and went to college and went through the ROTC program. And when he graduated, he was commissioned as a lieutenant, and he was in the military police corps. After his service in, in Vietnam, he went on to serve with the Army, not only in Afghanistan, but he was in the first Gulf War in 1991 and served in Israel and West Germany. So this man has had quite, quite a career. And he, his story in Veterans Reflection is, is, tells the story of his experiences during the Gulf War and during the 0304 time frame of Operation Enduring Freedom. Mm. Fabulous. Bill, thank you again. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is a tribute book titled Memories, Expressions from the Word, a tribute to Dad. And joining me from near Chicago is the author, Rose Love, and I will call her book a love story. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This uh, book that you have penned is 155 pages or so. It has a photo on the front of a distinguished-looking gentleman and, I'm guessing, his wife. Who are those people, and uh, why did you want to honor them with this book? Well, you know, when I first um, came here, or rather when I started at uh, Marvin Park Assembly, it was uh, in 1973, and I grew up uh, without a father. I never knew my father, and the, which means, uh, if you really, if I look, really look back, I really never had anybody just, I guess you could say, love me unconditionally, and I didn't know a father figure. 
Right. But it's not that I was starving for one. It's just that I never had that. And, you, you know, and this family, when I went to this church, just stepped in and wrapped me within their arms and they gave me all the love that they can give me. And I just thought it was wonderful. It was good. Uh, let me know and feel uh, what a father love was like, you know. And so... And I've always just taken notes. And the and the, so, gentle, the gentleman you refer to as dad uh, was uh, sort of in an adoptive sense uh, your father. That was the, the pastor of the congregation, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Um, he, matter of fact, I met him and his wife the very first day um, that I went uh, to that church. And I don't know. It, it, it was just like somebody said, you know, I looked across the room and I saw them and I fell in love. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm talking spiritual and I'm not the well, other sure. one. But it, it was nice to know that somebody loved you and it was nice to have that spiritual contact. And his his name, or he's referred to as Elder Baggett, is that, or Baggett, is that the correct pronunciation of his last name? Yes, it is. His name was uh, Robert Baguette. Robert Baguette. Mm. And he uh, was pastor of the congregation there for uh, many, many years. And in the front of your book, there are are just uh, pages after pages of tributes to his leadership style and also to the the way that he interacted with, with individuals in his congregation, including you. You He referred to or, or at least um, treated you in a very fatherly ma- manner and uh, often referred to you, at least in his uh, style, as a daughter of his. He did. I mean, you know, you can go to him and ask for anything that you want. If he got it, he gave it to you. Um, Sometimes when I was real down low and stuff, he'll sit down, he'll give me comfort. When I'm sick, he and his wife, they would come over and take care of me. They would bring food. They did just whatever. I guess you can say a, a parent does for um, their kids. They just looked after you. And it wasn't just me. It was the whole entire church that was available hmm. for whoever they wanted. So he was a living example of the gospel and living the life of a servant of God. Right, he was. And he never forgot you. He never forgot a faith. I don't know if I got it in the book, but... He, uh, when people couldn't make it to the church and meetings and stuff during the day, he would have midnight service just so that you'll be able to uh, attend some type of service. Just whenever possible, he would have this. That in itself is a remarkable testimony to his faithfulness and his motivation. This is this is a unique tribute to him. You have uh, over 28 years of keeping track of things that inspired you, and you've included them in this book. Describe that for my, my readers, or for my listeners. Uh, the 28 years yes, and, of and, my, doing uh, what I did was whenever I go to sermons, um, Bible class, teaching, a lot of the scriptures, just whatever it was, I, I would take it down. That's why that I feel that the book is very appealing to anybody that want to read uh, the book because of the fact that it deals with a lot of leadership. It deals with biblical truth. It 
give you spiritual comfort and knowledge. It's God words, you can say, because whenever he was speaking, he will, you know, read the Bible to you. And it, it's just there for you to look and listen and understand. It's just, I just thought it was really neat. It is neat. And and one way that you could also uh, observe this book, or maybe utilize it if you're a person of faith, it could be used as a devotional guide, perhaps, uh, if you wanted to go through a study of scriptures. It's uh, done in short form there uh, for those who might want to be in leadership, maybe a teaching a capacity, or even a pastor might benefit from the book because it's uh, almost written in sermon outline form. They can take the scriptures, the headings, and develop their own their own slant on the scripture and the content. Correct. Correct. Uh, also, you'll find what I did is that I not only have his I, I listed as like sermon uh, insert because if I took a, a, one of the ministry of uh, one of the uh, brothers, the pastor uh, from the church. I will give them credit for that in the book. It will be their scriptures and whatever they said, but it's not a complete sermon. It's just an insert from that. Mm-hmm. But it's in detail. It has the beginning, middle, and the end, and as you can say, so you can understand it. But the scriptures... Uh, is so that when you read the scripture, I also have uh, a thought by it so that you give, you, you can help you along so you can go along, you know, have the daily scripture and the daily mentally thought. Uh, so I, I, you, know. you, you have in your book, in those outlines, uh, some rather poetic, uh, poetic statements. I, I'm just reading this one uh, passage of, of your book. And, of course, I have heard many pastors of uh, congregations like yours preach, and uh, they have some wonderful way with words. I love this, and I'm curious whether you had written this down at the time or have recreated it. It says this, We are in the world's pawn shop. We owe a debt we could not pay. Only one could ransom us, and that one was the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from heaven's noonday to earth's midnight to pay the price of our ransom on the cross of Calvary, to ransom us from the penalty of sin and bring us into the possession of God. I love that phrase, he came from heaven's noonday to earth's midnight to pay the price for our ransom. That is a very poetic uh, phrase. Did you remember that, or did you have it written down that way? I I write back. I shouldn't say back in the day, but that it was back in the day. I had um, like almost a photostatic memory. Uh, whatever you said, I can pretty much write it as you were saying it. That's the way I guess you can say I took good notes. Um, whenever they said something, I would write it down just as they were saying it. That's... And so that helped me a great deal. And if there was something that I didn't understand or missed, I would go to that person and I was saying, you know, I don't understand this. Uh, what did you mean? Or how did you say that? And if they tell me, then I can write it down. And this, this is the way I guess you can say that 
I have a lot of stuff exactly as they said. Exactly. But, you know, so. if I walked away, I couldn't remember all of that. <laughs> uh, the, that phrase alone is worth the price of admission from my perspective. Of course, I'm a person who embraces the church and embraces uh, faith uh, substance, just as the, as you have outlined it here. I, I, who did you think, besides me, uh, would find this book of interest? I was hoping that the young people, because there are some young people that is into reading the Bibles and the scriptures and to get education and to learn it. The old people, that's all, you know, generally old people, when they can't go somewhere, you can sit down and you can read. Uh, I love reading myself. Um, there are people who are claim say I'm saved and those who say I'm not saved. So I was hoping that when they pick up my book, they will see that it's not just any type of book. It's a book that deals with leadership. It's, um, it's contained the truth so that they can have that. It's, if they need comforting or some type of knowledge, they can get it, you know, not necessarily taking anything away from the Bible, but sometimes a book, you can pick it up and you can get a, a lot of comfort and need from that. And that's what I was trying to get across. Well, I think you've done a wonderful job. You obviously are honoring your spiritual and earthly dad, at least as you've described him. Was that your primary motivation in uh, in sharing your story? To honor him? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, you know, as long as I've known him, um, let's see, that was in 1973. So you take 1973 up until the time he retired, and I still knew him because, you know, he didn't die until 2001. But uh, what I, I never knew him through uh, anyone else to write a book about him. You know how a lot of pastors write their book and put their words down. He never did this. And so that was nothing to say, hey, I've been here, or mm. to memorize him. So I wanted something to say, hey, look, this is uh, this man was here, and he counted. He was important. He was an iconic man of God. And I did the book as a memory and a tribute to him. It's not his old memoir, but I still, it's like a partial memoir, but it was dealt spiritually with his uh, pastoral, you know, with, 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 his, with his history and with his contribution to the community, and uh, mm -hmm. especially in Morgan Park, which is in the Chicago area. Your book, in addition to having the uh, sermon outlines and uh, observations, has a lot of photographs in there. Are those photos that you have personally taken, or how would you describe those? Well, uh, the one that says a tribute from Dad, it started at the very beginning. Um, this is a young man who came to church, got saved. He has his own church now, and he wrote a letter many years ago uh, in his appreciation and it was his tribute, and so I asked him if I could uh, use it, and you will find that he also submitted a, a letter back to me, along with saying he was grateful that I had that letter and he remembered me. Then there was another picture from a young man. He's still at Morgan Park. He came there as a teenager. He did the history of the church, Beautiful. and that is in there. 
Um, his name is David Foster. Well, that adds a lot of nice texture to your book. And in reading some of the other tributes, there is a general consensus that that the pastor was looked on and revered not only as a pastor and a godly man, but also a father figure for sure by many of the people that he influenced. Right. And then you find his family uh, all taken. I asked uh, Mother Baguette if she would let me have some pictures so she contribute pictures that of, of everybody, and that's how I got that, along with there's, uh, a lot of his clergy, some of them from another church, some of them from our church, but they all took pictures, and they gave pictures that I could put into the book as a tribute to him. Beautifully done. Rose, thank you for joining me today. The title of the book, again, is Memories, Expression from the Word, and the subtitle, A Tribute to Dad. And my author has been Rose Love. Love, where do we get copies of your book? It's at uh, Amazon. Amazon, and they can also request it, I think, from their local bookseller. If they uh, if they don't uh, right. have it locally, I they universe. can order it in for them. Right. Our universe also has it. Wonderful. Well, thank you for joining me and sharing your story. And it's inspirational not only to uh, to meet you, but also to read the contents of your book, and especially phrases like I have uh, highlighted in the program today. Anybody that is a Bible student, a Bible scholar, perhaps a pastor or a teacher, or just curious about the life of uh, of your dad would certainly enjoy reading this book. Again, it was Elder Baguette, and uh, he was obviously a man that deserved a great deal of honor, and thank you for honoring him and honoring the contents of this book. Thank you so much for having me. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.